GM GM and good morning, no matter where you are or what time zone you're in. Welcome to the NFT Droplets Podcast. My name's Mas, the NFT-obsessed tryhard making things happen at NFT Droplets. And I am thrilled to have you here with me today to talk about NFTs. Let's get started. In this episode, we speak candidly with Michael Olivieri, better known by his Twitter handle, NFT CEO. Michael is very active in the NFT community, both as a supportive collector of many NFT artists and projects, and as an educator and somewhat of a motivational speaker in the NFT space. He also has an extensive background in entrepreneurship and social media marketing, and regularly shares his business expertise with the NFT community on platforms such as Twitter Spaces. With an intoxicating growth mindset and a strong following on social media, the CEO shares a ton of value in this episode from the view of an NFT collector. We also discuss his past successes, the lessons he's learned, and how it's all led up to his next upcoming project, which we go into during our conversation. A slight warning before we begin. I believe in sharing my platform with guests without them having feel the need to restrain or censor themselves. That said, just a heads up, today's episode contains some strong language, just in case you have any kids present when the F-bombs start to drop. And now, here's my talk with Michael Olivieri, aka NFT CEO. Michael! Hey, NFT CEO. Thanks for joining me today. How's it going? Honestly, man, it's going incredible. I'm really excited. Uh, Coming into it a little bit beforehand, definitely a little bit nervous as always, but after breaking the ice a little bit and having some fun, it's it's going good. So So Michael's no stranger to podcasts. He's actually produced his own for, I think, a couple years now called the MF CEO podcast, a business-focused podcast for entrepreneurs with over 100 episodes links will be in the show notes. But Michael, let's start off by learning about you and your background in business. Yeah. Um, so my first ever professional like thing, like, gosh, so I like to say I was battle born into business. That's the best way to put it. Um, all of my aunts and uncles, they all come from business. Uh, they're all entrepreneurs, all business owners. Uh, my dad, my mom, everybody was basically involved in business. And so when I was a little kid, my dad was like, listen, man, like, you got a couple different choices. Like you can go and you can get a job to make money or you can figure out how to provide value to people and you can get paid for that value as long as you're providing more value than what you're asking for in return. And that was like one of the main things that he always used to teach me. And so I was in like grade like four and he used to take me to the candy store and we'd go to bulk barn and we'd buy a bunch of candy at bulk and I would go to school and I'd sell it for like individual pieces. We used to find candy that you couldn't find like near our school and stuff like that. And so that was like my first little thing of selling. Then fast forward, let's say like a few more years, I think I was around like grade six or grade seven at this point. Um, I had saved up enough money and enough allowance where I had to go and buy a pop machine now. And so my dad said, you have a certain amount of money put up now go get yourself a pop machine. And so I remember we went, we bought a pop machine and I was fortunate enough because a lot of people, even if you buy a pop machine, you have to find a place to put it. And so I get that I had an advantage, but 
my dad had a little shop that I was able to use. And so he had a shop where he had a couple employees with a, a couple vehicles always hanging out there. And so I set up the pop machine there and every single month I would have to go and I would have to reload the pop machine. And I was making like 200 bucks a month and it wasn't a lot, but like at grade six, like it was a hustle for me. And so I managed to save up enough money where I was then able to buy a second machine. And this one had like chips and candy bars and all that good stuff in it. So I had two machines set up and each one was pumping me out a couple hundred dollars a month. And this is in like grade seven. And so Every two weeks, he would drive me to the shop. We would go unload it. We would go reload it. We'd go to Costco. I'd put a percentage of my profits away. And he used to show me like, listen, like, even though you made, let's say three, 400 bucks, you now got to pull a certain amount out of it and go resupply. Otherwise you're not going to make that 400 bucks next month. And so he was teaching me like just some like the general principles of just business in a sense when I was very, very young. And he showed me that there's different ways to make different amounts of money. Another thing he taught me was he made me read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was like extremely, extremely young. I think I was in grade five or six, to be honest. And he read it with me originally, um, and I've read it multiple times since then. But one of the lessons that he wanted me to learn from that was be willing to work for free. Don't go to work just to make money. He goes, you should go to work either to make money or to learn something. And so a lot of my jobs that I've ever had in my life were strictly just I wanted to learn a new skill. And so a lot of times I'll figure out a way to provide value. Offer to learn a new skill. And so I like to work for free in a sense. And that's what I've actually been doing in the space that I'm in right now. And so I'll dive a little bit more into that later. But I'm modding for like four different discords right now. And I'm doing a lot of community management in the NFT space. I'm hosting my spaces on a regular. A lot of the stuff that I'm doing right now could be paid jobs, but the goal is just to do them completely for free, just to be able to provide value within the space and just get more expertise and just get more experiences under my personal belt. Going back now. After the uh, pop machine, that was like a nice little experience. I got a little bit older and he started teaching me how to flip cars. So bred from an early age, both with family and books, totally makes sense. So what came first for you, crypto or NFTs? It was crypto for me. Um, NFTs came very shortly after though. So with okay. me with crypto, it was just an investment. I don't know much about crypto. I just took a couple grand. I threw 500 here, 1,000 here, 500 here. And I did that for like two years straight. And I had no idea what I was doing. Just putting like the odd 50 bucks into a shit coin, a couple <laughs> hundred bucks into like more stable coins and just really just diversifying my portfolio like I was told to. I'd watch a couple YouTube videos, figure like what the top 10 investments were and just diversify my portfolio. I had like two or three wallets with a couple grand just spread across and so some of that training uh you got in terms of running your own business diversity capital management that was that was imbued to you right at the start so you didn't blow up your account right away so you stuck around 100 percent. and well yeah and like the with my business background like it didn't definitely didn't stop at the pop machines so like after the pop hmm. machine i ended up uh starting my own window cleaning company at the age of 19 and we were able to grow the window cleaning company uh in about six years from just me and my partner to employing close to 25 people um at our peak and so that was really cool and we were able to expand all of our services um now we're in year six of that business and we actually just sold it off but we didn't sell the actual brand. We sold all of the assets off. So I still own the company name and I still own the brand name. And that brand has now actually purchased another cleaning company. And so my now sole role in the new cleaning company is I just coach as the CEO and I coach the current CEO on how to run the new cleaning company. That's been my main role. Super congrats on that success. And for listeners, I mean, these are real businesses. These aren't like fly by night and the multi-level marketing things that you see online. These are brick and mortar yeah. businesses. So how do you go from that to NFTs? 
honestly, so like I was laying in bed and it was a complete, complete accident, man. Like I was just browsing through my trust wallet and like I owned some safe moon and I was looking at my safe moon chart at the time last year. Yeah, I know. Face palm. Like I said, I threw some shit at a wall. <laughs> and so with safe moon, I was just looking at it and I seen that there was these things called D apps and I didn't really know what they were. So I started browsing through the D app section when trust wallet added that feature to their wallet. And there was something called air NFTs. And I clicked on it and I don't even know why I clicked on it. And I seen that people were selling like photos and I was like, what the hell is this? And so I started scrolling through and it was like two in the morning at this time. And I was like, this has got to be like one of the most unique things ever. People are selling this for like big money. I wonder if I could sell a photo. And so I went on Google and this is obviously like wrong, but I didn't know what I was doing at the time. And so I went on Google, searched up a funny meme that I enjoyed, took a screenshot of it posted it on air nfts for like a fraction of a penny it costed me more to upload it than what i actually got from the sale and for listeners who aren't familiar with air nft uh what is that so air nft is a nft platform on the binance blockchain it's ah. Uh, a much less known one. Um, it's centralized. It's not very good quality. I don't recommend it. But at the time, I had no idea what I was doing. I just happened to come across it. So you started on Binance. You didn't start on like Ethereum. Yeah, okay. I started on Binance. And it made sense because there was no gas fees. So to learn, mm. like you make a mistake and you upload a meme for one penny, it doesn't cost you 250 bucks. You can just upload it and be like, why the fuck did I upload that? There goes a penny. And so there's a lot less of like that risk to reward as you're learning. Um, it is a steep learning curve in the NFT space. You're uploading yes. stuff for a lot of money. Even just to make a purchase, there's a $250 gas fee sometimes. Like when I order food online, if I pay a $3 service fee, that hurts me. But yet when I buy an NFT, 30 bucks is fine or 50 bucks is fine or 80 bucks is fine. And it gets crazy now that it's a 250, but why is it that 30 bucks is acceptable or 20 bucks is acceptable? That's a lot of capital that people could be reinvesting into more NFTs in my opinion. If you have a thousand dollars to put in and 25% of that's going to gas every time you earn a thousand dollars, like you're not putting in nearly as much into your collection as you could have been if it wasn't for that gas fees. 100%. I mean, people getting into the space and staying in the space, it's easy to forget that you know, if everything's priced in ETH or Matic or whatever magical internet money that you're using to price these things, there are actual dollar values behind this. That's the thing, right? It's like when I go to like reload and I got to get more ETH, it's like, holy shit, ETH is like expensive. Like this is like two grand and I'm only getting like, like a quarter of an ETH right now. Like what the hell? And then all of a sudden a quarter of that quarter is going to gas fees. And then to list the NFT after again, it's just like, th there's a lot of crazy expenses. So I found that I got lucky because I started with BSC and my, my transaction fees were in the pennies. I was just going to add that a lot of people start on flow too. So that barrier to entry, like that's what makes people go to these like cheaper change gateway drug, if you will. 100%. So Binance was yours, but how... Like your first uh, project was on Binance. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Real quick? Yeah, of course. So like I, it started with the memes. Uh, the memes started selling. I was super happy about it. But then I started doing some research. I realized, oh shit, like you can't do this. You need to upload your own content. So I messaged the admins and I was like, hey, here's the situation. As I was learning about the project, I ended up uploading probably five or 10 memes and they all sold, but they all sold for less than a penny. So like I wasn't doing this for the profits. I still want to use your platform. Uh, what do we do about this? And they're like, let's just ban your account. Let's make a brand new account and you can start on a clean slate. Like you don't need to keep your old account. There's no point. So I made my new account, went on fiverr.com and I hired a professional artist. And I was like, listen, man, I have a really cool concept. I want to make a vaccine card. 
vaccines are super popping right now. It's a big trend. And so I made a vaccine card. Um, actually, the first vaccine card I made myself. I went on canvas.com and I took a really shitty little background and I put a little pixelated needle. And then I took a font that says fake vaccine and I made it like 1% different color than the background. So there's a hidden word on there that says fake vaccine. And I was selling vaccines. And so it was meant to be controversial. I did it intentionally. And I wanted to see what kind of reaction it would get. And sure as shit, they ended up all selling out for a dollar each. So I made $25. And to me, this was like, holy shit, I can actually make some money with NFTs. This is kind of like when I got that first adrenaline rush from them. Nice. And uh, no government agencies paid you a visit for that? No, no, no. I got okay with right. it. I, I got Good away man. with it so far. And so after that worked, I'm not an artist. So I wasn't super impressed with the quality of the art for the first vaccine card. So I went and found a really high quality 3D artist. And I was like, hey, I made this once. Can you make a way cooler version of it? And so he made edition two and then edition three and edition four. And with every single edition, I upgraded the price by a couple dollars. So like edition one, I made $25 by selling all 25. Edition number two, it costed me $25 to even buy the art in the first place. So I sold them for $5 each. I ended up selling 25 copies of them. Then there was edition three, costed me $50 to create. So I spent $50 making it and I just kept upgrading the artist and paying for higher quality art and having a better final piece and then selling 25 copies of it. I did this a total of five or six times. I think there's six series of the vaccine cards out now and all of them have sold out and all of them have made my collectors tons of money and, <laughs> and they keep buying them. Wait, wait, you're still selling these? I stopped selling them, but they're on the market oh. still. Um, I haven't uploaded okay. the newest, like another series since, but I was uploading them until they were all sold out and until they were all in collector's hands. And it ended up becoming like a, wow. a pretty well-known series on the Binance blockchain. Like I've probably sold over 500 NFTs on the, on the Binance That's blockchain. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, found success early on. I know a lot of artists in the space, they struggle with that, but it sounds like you went in with like a product mindset. Yeah. You're talking about editions and series. That's the thing. Most people come into this with, with almost like a, a different ego. And I think because I came into this with not the expectation that I'm some high quality artist, I know I'm not like my work is worth one penny. And because of that, I sold it for one penny. And I was able to build up a small little foundation of collectors. Most people out here are trying to sell their work for $4,000. And it's really, really difficult to find your first collector for $4,000 versus one penny or $1. And so when I sold 500 NFTs for all less than a couple dollars each, I now have 500 collectors for very, very small amounts of funds, but I still have supporters that are helping me spread my content and spread my brand. And so that's why I always suggest to, collect or to creators to make a smaller edition collection so you can still onboard some new collectors versus trying to get that one guy for $4,000 thousand dollars but a lot of people they see these big numbers and that entices them into this space but this sort of circles back to uh what you uh, learned from robert kiyosaki's book rich dad poor dad you're going in with a learner's mindset not necessarily to make money mm -hmm. this sounds like advice you would give to artists and new creators in the space as well yeah, 100%. This is what I always say to people. I say is, I don't want to ever offend anybody. I always start by saying that. I say, I don't want to offend you. I think your work's probably incredible. And it's not fair for me to put a proper value on your work. You know your value best. But if your only goal is to find collectors, then don't focus so much just on the upfront value you're going to get off your first sale. Think more so five years down the road from now, if you can amass enough collectors and you can get enough secondaries going, that's when you can really make the money. Just think of it right now as you're being me. You're selling it for one penny. What's your version of one penny? Exactly. This is a long game, folks. Yeah. The easy money's made. The people who are here are in it for the long term. 
And I hope you are too. 100%. Great. Uh, coming from the collector's perspective with that in mind, uh, how do you evaluate the projects? Yeah, um, I like to listen in on AMAs. I'm a big lurker. And so like the term of like lurker is like you just watch from a distance. I'm an observer. And so I like to sit in their Discord and I'll just see what kind of vibes they have in their Discord general chat. And like I'll sit in there for like literally like eight hours straight. I've got multiple monitors. And so I'll just leave their Discord chat open on one of my monitors while I work for the entire day. And I'll just browse and see like, are they aggressive? Are they angry? Are they just like genuinely happy? And if I see floor talk coming up on a regular basis or different tactics on how to manipulate the floor, or if I notice that there's a lot of like really fresh newbies into the NFT space, that's normally a red flag. For listeners who don't know what the floor is mm. yeah so the floor on nft projects is basically the current lowest value that you can buy into that project so if there's ten thousand nfts in that project the floor is normally where the cheaper end of the nfts will be laying and so your cheapest entry point into that project right so for example right now there are projects like CryptoPunks and board ape yacht club yeah their floors are in the six and seven figures yeah board ape yacht club i think they just cracked 50 ethereum floor so wow yeah. And uh, <laughs> so you get to know a project, you see the community behind it. Community is so important, mm -hmm. we found in the NFT space, because every creator, they're building their own brand. Mm -hmm. Every artist is realizing they are their own brand. Mm -hmm. And you want to build that sustainable brand to be uh, around, you know, years from now. Has anything ever caused you to lose faith in a project or what would Oh, fuck. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm really upset actually right now with the project. Um, there's a project I bought heavily into. Uh, <laughs> it's basically that copy paste line. Names. No, I don't mind. Uh, it's called the Nuki Dojo. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of them. I fucking love the art. Like, I love everything about them. I love how memeable they are. I love the concept behind them. They're these cute little mystical raccoons with giant nuts. That's their story. They have giant balls. And they're this mystical little, like, jester, this trickster type creature. And to me, like, that's a good story for an NFT project. We got the biggest balls in the space. We got diamond hands. We're not selling. We're not scared. We got balls. balls. Yeah, right? Like, and so it's very memeable. It's very funny. It's very DJ-y. It just goes with the theme. And they were offering royalties. And to me, I was like, okay, the Millionaire Meerkat project did really well because of the royalties. They went up to a 40 Solana floor, which is extremely high. And so I was like, there's no reason the Danuki shouldn't do the same thing as long as they can recreate a very similar community and just stick to the roadmap and so long story short a week into the project the royalties slowed down a little bit and so a lot of people in the community started raising awareness started raising their voice to the leader saying hey we don't know if we want this royalty structure we don't know how we feel about the roadmap we don't know what we want to do we might just sell and so the leaders then panicked and said hey let's just take our entire business plan crumple it up into a ball, throw it out the window, and let's make a whole new business plan as a community. That's got to be one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever heard in my life. I get it. Community is important. Community is a huge buzzword right now. But anybody that's ever ran a business will understand that you cannot have 25 CEOs of a business because they're all going to have different direction for the business, let alone 6,666 CEOs because they have 6,666 NFTs. And I'm sorry, but you don't you can't be making all equal decisions. You need to have a leader that comes up with a business plan, designs a roadmap, and then follows that roadmap through because you need to get to the end goal. There's going to be road bumps along the way. There's going to be things that slow you down. There's going to be things that don't go as planned, but you pivot around them. You don't take the entire fucking plan and throw it out the window. Like my window cleaning company, we found that Windows wasn't making us enough money, so we started doing pressure washing as well. 
We didn't just stop doing windows because we had a large client list of people that enjoyed our windows already. So we added on another service. And that's what Danukis could have done. They could have, instead of completely destroying the royalties and destroying their entire plan, they could have added something or they could have made a minor pivot or just done something to please people. But instead they said, hey, let's just give the entire keys to the community. Let's let the community vote on how they want things to be done. And the community ended up just being crazy and just making votes that didn't make sense they started voting on things that would protect their own personal bags and that's the problem is if mm. you give the individual the right to vote they're going to vote on what serves them best a business owner and a true leader is built to make the decision that's best for the community not for the individual if i made every decision on what was best for the individual i'd be on a hundred thousand dollar salary a year and my employees would all be getting fuck all every single year because that would be the best situation for me possible in a sense or like for as an individual but what's best for the collective what's best for the collective is to have a proper pay structure across the employees to make sure that everybody's happy and they have benefits and just to always look after the collective like as an example when covid hit i had to stop taking a salary the reason i stopped taking a salary is because i knew that my company couldn't afford to pay my salary and pay my employees salaries so i took a zero salary for like 12 months and i had to end up going on to uh basically the government pay because of the fact that I wasn't able to take my own salary. And that, in my opinion, is sacrificing like from the top up and doing what's best for the community. What's best for the community in that situation for my business as a community was for me to stop taking a salary so I could continue making sure my employees got paid. What was best for the individual? Fire three of my employees and continue taking my salary. But that's not the kind of way I want to run things. And that's what I think a lot of these projects need to understand is you can't be doing things for the individual. You need to think as the greater collective. And when you mm -hmm. let the community take control, they start thinking as just their own individual banks. What can they do to secure their investment? And so a lot of the times they'll, they'll switch the structure to a floor sweep. We want a floor sweep. Why do you want a floor sweep? A floor sweep means you're going to buy all the cheap NFTs. Well, you know what that means? You plan on selling your NFT at the bottom. There's no buyers for it right now. So you want a refund. You're trying to convince the developers to buy back their project. That's bullshit in my opinion. Like you should not give into that. And so instead of royalties, they ended up switching their structure from royalties to a floor sweep. So every week they take all the royalties and they buy back the NFTs. So anybody who's looking to get out of the project gets a one third of their price refund now. And anybody who was originally happy staying in the project because of its roadmap and its original royalties that were promised are now stuck with a bunch of shitty NFTs and a shitty community that's just waiting for their turn to get exited with a floor sweep. So... That's okay. a huge red flag for me is when they change their whole roadmap because of a couple loud people in their discord. That to me is one of the biggest turnoffs. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that experience. This is why folks like Mark Cuban will say that Gary V also that 98, 99% of these projects are, they're not going to be around a year from now, yeah, it's you know, months from now. Yeah. I find that a lot of DAOs are, uh, you know, they're learning as they go as well. If you're overly run by committee, you can't make a clear decision. There's no vision. Mm -hmm. So it really does seem like a balance between top down and bottom up. Yeah. Tell us about your current status in uh, NFTs. Yeah. So as of right now, um, in the NFT space, I have managed to position myself somewhat as an expert. And I, I use that term very loosely because I don't believe there are NFT experts yet. Too soon. Exactly. <laughs> For any of us. Yeah, exactly. Like the space is too new. We don't even really know what's going on yet. Like we're all just learning and experiencing. Like every single day I still spend like probably eight hours of my day just sitting in either spaces or in events or clubhouses, just sitting there, just absorbing information. I even started like sitting in like two rooms at a time, just so I can hear two conversations at once in case one of them starts to get dull. And so I'm just absorbing a ton as much as I can. Um, but 
I've been really active in the community. I've been really engaging in the community. Um, I do have a background uh, in social media. Um, so when I was like 16, I ended up growing a business where I had like up to 7 million followers on Instagram. Yeah. And so that was like one of my first major businesses was selling promotions for different pages. Like um, I grew a bunch of meme pages and then companies would reach out and I would just help them get clicks on whatever ads they were running. And so I then took those money, that money, and I rolled that into my uh, window cleaning business. And that's how I was able to get my window cleaning business started at the age of 19. Mm. Um, and so with the influencer stuff, I remember when I was like in grade 10, like when I was a junior, I made more money than I made in my window cleaning business, to be honest. And so coming into the NFT space, I was like, I want to grow a following. Worst case scenario, I can be an NFT influencer. Like it's, it's an extra side hustle. Like I really enjoy the space. I don't see why not. And so I came in here with 100% just the intentions of just growing my following because A, I can get paid to influence and B, I can sell my art easier if I have more followers because at the time I was making those vaccine cards and all that stuff. And so continued growing my following, had a blast with it, uh, met tons of awesome people, did tons of networking and everything went really well. And I kept getting rug pulled like over and over. And I started investing in projects. Uh, just to give folks a timeline, yeah, it's been about a year. About now. a year now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 2021 is the year of NFT so far. And for folks who are, aren't too familiar with rug pull. Yeah. So a rug pull is basically like what it sounds like of they pull the rug out from under you. It's when you're expecting one thing and you get just fucking surprised and you get backstabbed in a sense. And so just to get a little bit more technical, if we're talking about a coin, um, the idea is if you buy into like a shit coin, it gets pumped up and then the developers take all the profits out, causing the coin to crash to zero. Um, with an NFT project, they can do things like change the art behind your back after you've purchased it, um, or they can just run away. They can delete the Twitter and the Discord account and not promise to fulfill the roadmap with all the utility they promised. There's lots of different ways that the the founders the original founders can screw over the project and rug pull it in a sense 100 percent. listeners have to remember uh, a lot of these projects they're dreams they have a roadmap <laughs> and a bunch of jpegs mm -hmm. um this is why i'm finding a lot of projects are doxing the founders and the creators mm -hmm. just to show that there are human beings and not just uh you know, orangutan JPEGs running this thing. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know who's running it, how can you trust a project? Mm -hmm. I know it's tempting when you see 50 times 100x returns on some of these, but that's because there's real people committed to these. Mm -hmm. You know, I appreciate you sharing your identity right away. Uh, Michael's also known as NFT CEO on Twitter, which your uh, avatar uh, has the Guy Fox mask, the mm -hmm. anonymous mask. Mm -hmm but you seem very open to uh, share yourself. So I want to presume that you put a lot of value in uh, docs teams. Is that correct? I do. I think it's super important. Like I've always been docs my whole life. Like when I was 16, I was a pro gamer and I used to stream online and everybody knew who I was. And so like, I didn't have an issue with that. And then my podcast, I'm doxed in my podcast. I used to have thousands of listeners every episode on my podcast, hearing about who I was and the business name I owned and things like that. So like, I'm super, super public about who I am because I have nothing to hide. I, I Don't get me wrong. I make mistakes. Like there's been clients of mine that are super upset with me. And then they call me because they have my number. And then I have to face that situation. But that's business. If you have an upset client, you need to resolve that. You can't just hide and become anonymous and disappear into the wind. And that's what's happening in NFT projects. 
they're people that have never ran businesses. They raise multiple millions of dollars and then they have like, yeah. And then they have anxiety attacks. You know how stressful that would be if you just raised $3 million and now there's 10,000 people spamming the shit out of you, emailing you, calling you, spamming your DMs, spamming your discord and saying like, like, I'm going to kill you. Like who knows what kind of threats that these people are getting sometimes. That's what we're seeing in metaverse. Yeah. And and a lot of times it's these like 16 year old artists that they just, they were trying to have some fun. And a lot of them are also coders and coders aren't the most social people. And so they can get like worried about things. And when you have like this social pressure on you and the pressure of like people's finances on you, it's very easy to panic and just be like, fuck this shit. Nobody knows who I am. I'm just going to delete my Twitter account and everything goes away. And they don't think about the fact, like I still have three mil on me, but fuck it. Like at least the stress is gone. And I think that's what's happening. I think that's why we're getting rug pulled over and over again. Mm-hmm. Or that's when a project goes full Danuki and just uh, throws their hands up. And yeah, that pissed me off, man. That, that one really bothered me. <laughs> Sorry, We don't have to go back <laughs> to that part. Let's talk more about the more promising projects, uh, collectors club. Awesome. Yeah. So collectors club, um, was a concept of basically like, like I said, I got rug pulled a lot. And so there's a deeper story behind it. I accidentally rug pulled my collectors in a sense. And so it was a forced rug pull, not done by me. So I was once again, still on the BSC network. And this is when I actually switched to Ethereum was after this, uh, this lesson. Good man. Yeah. And so I worked on Ethereum. I ended up getting a partnership deal with a very well-known company and two other very well-known creators. And they're actually well-known creators on the Ethereum network. It's uh, drippies and blockchain heroes. Um, so they're both like pretty prominent uh, projects and artists. And we had gotten an exclusive deal with a project. I don't remember the name. I think it was called NFT Hype. And so we were going to be the only three artists that were going to be launching. So it was me and the other two artists. And we were going to have the entire stage to ourselves, this entire marketplace. And we were the only three verified artists. And so to me at the time, I was like, holy shit, this is like bigger than I've ever had. Like, I'm just some guy selling these little vaccine cards for a couple bucks. Like, I felt like I just got like the lottery at this point. And so I ended up hiring an artist, came up with the roadmap, built a product, and I, I came up with a pretty badass product. It was called these Toker Pets, and they were super cheap. Like I was selling them for like a couple bucks each. And so everybody was really hyped for it. I had like 5,000 followers on Twitter at the time. A couple bucks each on Ethereum? No, I was still on Binance at this point. So this is all still on Binance. And so this is on NFT hype. We were just building a campaign to launch a specific project solely for their marketplace. It was supposed to be like this like big like opening day thing. And so meanwhile, I had Drippies and Blockchain Hero also promoting these projects. And they're both like really big names in the space, like like big, big names. And so they ended up bringing most of the media attention. And so my job was just to build a sweet project that we could sell. And so I ended up launching the project through their website on launch day. We ended up selling out 250 NFTs in like under three seconds. Like it was fucking insane. And so that's when I seen like, okay, NFTs have power. Like there is money to be made here. This was intense. Like we just sold out a whole collection in a matter of seconds. I've never made like this kind of money that fast before. I was like, what do we do? And so I ended up continuing to build the roadmap. I went and got a bunch more art designed. I came up with all these accessories. I actually came up with the components of how the game is going to work and the tokenomics. I took it like, okay, this is going to become my new business. Toker pets are my next business. We go, we launch, we do a couple more launches. Things are going amazing. My collectors are happy. The two CEOs of NFT hype get into a giant childish fight. They've never owned a business before. And they decide that the best way to handle this is to fucking rug pull each other. And so the one CEO steals the entire liquidity pool from the coin and the other CEO uh, throws a temper tantrum and deletes the website. Okay. 
So because it's not on Ethereum, they're not true NFTs where they're directly to your wallet. They're just being hosted through the website. And so anybody that bought one now lost their NFT because it was put up on a website. And so meanwhile, now I'm here and I just convinced a lot of people to invest into my project. And now the CEOs of the project just stole it right from under me. And I'd been spending months building my brand and building like my collection and building my next dream business in a sense. And so I hit like panic mode. I was like, well, what the fuck do I do now? And so I just sent like a giant apology. And I was like, you guys, like, there's nothing I can do. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm screwed here. Like, they took down the website. This isn't me. Like, I'm going to try and figure out a way to make this right. And so I ended up finding an investor. And an investor reached out to me and he goes, dude, like, why don't you just build your own marketplace instead of trying to work on these like random shitty BSC marketplaces? Because first it was Air NFTs. They were no good. Then it was NFT hype. They were no good. Then I went to like random NFT.io. They were no good. And so this investor was like, dude, you keep selling out collections and you keep getting screwed over by the marketplaces. You obviously have business experience. Why don't you just start your own marketplace? And I was like, huh that's not a bad idea. And I was like, well, let's see what other marketplaces there are first. So that's when I was like, let's go dip my toes in the Ethereum market. And so I jumped over to Ethereum and that's when I realized there's a whole different fucking ball game being played. The roadmaps and the products and the technology that was on the Ethereum blockchain was light years ahead of what we were seeing on the BSC. Yeah. On BSC, you were seeing like finger painting and on like Ethereum, you're seeing fucking like literally like built metaverses and like, like the, the, even like the tokenomics that like Kongs has where you're, you have people making $5,000 a day just by holding an NFT because of how structured their tokenomics are. It's a gray area in terms of security, but I do love the innovation that we're seeing in Ethereum especially. Yeah, and I like gray areas. I'm here for the gray areas. I want to test the boundaries. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I, I encourage that, to be honest, because I think that's how we find new technology. I think that's how we're going to find new ways to make money and, and new ways to advance. I think, sure, we're going to get in trouble along the way because we're going to do some things that we shouldn't be doing. But it's like it's kind of like how we figured out which fruits to eat. Try them, see which ones fuck you over, and then you don't do those ones anymore. And that's how we continue to evolve, right? And so that's what we're doing right now is we're just learning, t- trial and error. We see a lot of that with uh, projects. If they roll out something like CyberKongs, where they have a successful tactic, mm-hmm. we see a bunch of other NFT projects ape into that feature. Mm-hmm. It leads to innovation, I agree. But then soon after, a bunch of copycats follow. Oh, yeah. And, and the copycats fail normally. Like maybe mm-hmm. one or two might make it. But I always say to people, it's, there's, a, there's a line I like to live by. Just because you have the recipe doesn't mean the sauce will taste the same. And that's why I'm so open about how I do what I do. Just because you know how I do exactly what I've done from start to finish does not mean that you'll be able to do the exact same thing. And that's why I have no problem sharing our roadmap, sharing our strategy, sharing our marketing, sharing everything from like start to finish because doesn't mean you'll be able to do it the same. And so that's why these copycat projects, they're copying what Kongs have already done, but they don't know what Kongs are going to do next. Kongs will always be one step ahead because Kongs are just smarter and everybody else is trying to copy the smart people. That said, uh, speak more about the roadmap for your project, like your current project. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just to finish the story there then, so we ended up getting rug pulled like just way too many times. Investors like, bro, like just get your own marketplace going. So I was like, okay, let's do it. So I was like, well, what makes our marketplace different? Like, why would somebody want to use my marketplace versus somebody else's? What do we, what makes us different? And so I wanted to make something that was rug pull proof in a sense. My goal here is to create a marketplace where the only people allowed to use our marketplace are going to be people that are a part of the club. And so we're selling 5,000 keys and one key will give you access to our club. 
that'll be access to our private Discord. That'll be access to all of our workshops that we're planning on hosting. I'm huge in education. I've always been a speaker. I've always been an educator. And so I want to be able to educate now within the NFT space. And I want people to be able to educate me as well. I just want to build a community of of educated collectors where we can just go back and forth and have quality discussions and just learn and grow within the space together. And so my goal here was to find high quality artists and partner with them in a sense where I can say, hey, you have an amazing craft. I'd love to partner with you one-on-one and give you some tips on how I think we can build you a dream collection. Let's make it a series of 100. We'll do 25 prints of each one. We'll make it where you have these different designs, these different styles. This is where we can price it out at. This is how many I think we can sell. And this is how we're going to market it for the next two weeks. And I help them build a brand name. I help them build a project. I help them build a roadmap. I basically help them build like their very first business. This is what I do for a living. I'm a business coach. I help people build businesses now. And that's what I'm doing with my current maid service. I've helped her build her business from one employee to 12 employees now and become a very successful business. Now on Twitter spaces, I'm teaching people how to grow their collections, how to grow their reputation, and how to grow their NFT projects. If I could get some one-on-one time with somebody for a couple of weeks and really just curate something and and make something beautiful with a high quality creator because I'm not an artist. I I can't create the actual art itself, but I can build the plan to, to bring the art to life in a sense and bring it to the right eyes. And so my goal was to find artists that are having troubles getting eyes on them, but they have the talent there partnering with them and then building a curated project and a curated collection and launching it solely to the collector's club. So the only people that will be able to purchase this hand curated collection are people that are key holders from within the club. And so that'll be the main benefit of holding a key is you'll be able to access art from collections from the curated artists that we partner with, um, as well as in the future, we want to be able to open up our own marketplace. The marketplace is going to be a lot further down the road. Um, We have a lot of plans to be able to do like some sort of like cross blockchain marketplace and things like that. Um, But I don't want to make any promises on the podcast for that because it's pretty broad right now in our description of what we want um we have a team of coders and i'm kind of giving them free reign with it i said i just want to have the best fucking marketplace that you can find like i want to take all the cool things from every other marketplace and i just want to genuinely build the best marketplace in the system for our members only this will be another perk if you join the club you have access to a way better marketplace than open seas and so when open seas takes down collections it doesn't matter you can still use our marketplace and you can still sell to other collectors within our own marketplace a lot of uh, artists and creators in this space, they do struggle with the marketing aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you're saying, collaboration and uh, NFT marketing, that's super important. And do you see that as a business opportunity moving forward? Uh, in what sense? Marketing for NFT projects. It seems like there's a huge demand for it, but there's, there's so much demand for community managers. And I know what you're trying to ask. Do you see a business opportunity being developed here where you can provide people with jobs, whether it's community manager, a marketing job, a discord manager, a mod, things like that? Like, is that a business opportunity on its own? I think so. Yes. Like, you know how, like, um, if you're trying to hire a temp worker, you can just go to a temp agency and they have employees ready and ready to go pre-trained. We need that for the NFT space. Especially for the marketing side, because a lot of artists and creators, they do struggle with that component. They want to put their head down and work. So on the flip side of that, how do you feel about the business guys who are getting into the space, the Gary V's, the the Tom Billiers? How do you feel that they're coming to market with their NFT projects? Some of them, I love it. Some of them, I hate it. Um, 
most of them I love it. I'm going to say 99% to be honest. Um, the ones that I hate are the ones that join the space. They buy an NFT. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street was a prime example. Okay, He joined the space. He bought a crypto punk. He goes, I fucking love NFTs. NFT people are so cool. You guys are all amazing. And then within three days, he's like, and I'm also selling a $3 million project if anybody's interested in buying it. It's like, bro, you're so full of shit. You bought into our community and then you tried to cash grab us for $3 million three days later. Like it's, it's so easy to see it coming that it's just silly. But yet I was dumb enough to buy into these multiple times. I bought Floyd Mayweather's. Um, that one really pissed me off. There was a lot of people who bought Ashton Kutcher's, which was the Stoner Cats. That was 0.35 Ethereum for a fucking cat, just so you have access to a Netflix membership. That shows one show. Mm-hmm. Like I pay $10 a month for Netflix, and yet this guy came in and charged $2,500 just to be able to watch one show. Like That blows my mind. Yeah, there's so much uh, money chasing and you know cashing yeah. on the hype. They'll sell this one thing, but then they'll uh, completely abandon the community. Nothing's genuine there, but who's got it right? Gary V. Gary V is doing such an amazing job. It makes me so happy to see what he's doing, to be completely honest. Um, I'm sure there's other influential celebrities, but I got a thing for Gary. I'll be completely honest. I watch everything that he does and like, He'll just choose a random artist mm-hmm. out of the fucking blue, like one that nobody's ever heard of. And he makes them celebrities overnight. Like he can literally change someone's life in, in a matter of seconds. And there's that whole concept of like time is relevant. And so Gary V's time is worth a lot. And Gary V giving you attention for a minute can change the rest, like your entire course of your life. And so for him to take that minute out of his day, he knows what he's doing. And the fact that he's willing to do that when he's valued at what he's valued at, like that's a genuine, awesome person. And he's doing it just to grow the space. He's not trying to pump his own bags. He just wants other people to do well. So he brings light to diamonds in the rough and to these struggling artists in a sense, because he finds that like, Hey, you deserve more attention. Here's some attention for you. What you do with it after is up to you though, but he's still giving them like that first leg up, which I think is incredible because getting that, that thunderbolt of luck, it can truly change the course of someone's life. And I know he can't do that for everybody, but the fact that he's out there trying to change lives every day versus trying to figure out ways to get money from us every day are two very different things that two different celebrities will do in this space. Totally. And you got to love the man's hustle. I mean, some people have uh, strong opinions about his strong personality, but I mean, say what you will, he's really good at forecasting, uh, especially social media trends. So if he's all in on NFTs, he even started like a Vayner NFT mm-hmm. alongside Vayner Media. Uh, like he's totally committed in this space and it does feel really genuine you know he's got the community he's coming into this with his brand but he's using nfts as a tool not a cash grab Mm -hmm. Um, nfts with utility nfts for event access or talking with a Mm -hmm. gary v one-on-one that's hugely valuable and sounds like a huge component about what you're building with collectors club Yes. And that's what I, I wanted something like he really did inspire me. Like, like I know I'm not Gary Vee. And so I know it's not going to be nearly as worthy to get a one-on-one call with me. So I'm not throwing those into the club, but buying access to the club will get you access to a plethora of knowledge just because I, I know how to network to other experts. And because of my podcasting history, I'm connected with some of like the, the most expert experts, like across the entire world, some of the most successful people in the world that I've been able to interview in the past. And the reason I was able to interview them is because they wanted publicity on the fact that they're experts in these fields. And so now that I have those people in my Rolodex, I can reach out to them a second time and say, Hey, I'd love to have you come on for another interview on marketing, but I'm going to record the whole thing. And I can bring them into the club, have them do an entire seminar on marketing inside of our metaverse, record the whole thing from start to finish. And now we have a built-in like 
permanent marketing video that I can save. And I want to build these all up until I have hundreds of hours of videos and I'm going to send it to a professional course maker and they're going to break it all down and turn it into a how to become successful in the NFT space course that's going to give access to all of our club members for completely free. It's just like educational content in the space is what I, what I want to be able to provide 24-7. I love that. I love what you're doing for the community, the educational aspect for creators. And um, you're committed to this. It's almost like the you've dropped it before, Gary Vee's book, Jab, Jab, Right Hook. You want to maybe in one minute explain that concept and how it's uh, driving you in this space? Yeah, so Jab, Jab, Right Hook is like, honestly, like pretty much what I, I live by. I'm I'm not too great at the right hooks yet, I would say, but Same. that's because I really believe in, I really believe in the warm up though. Like I, I believe in the foreplay, let's say. And I think it's super important to just provide as much value beforehand to make the final experience amazing. And so I want to just take my time with my community. I'm not in a rush to say, hey, here's my product. Hey, here's my product. Hey, here's my product. It's just, if you can figure out a way to provide enough value beforehand, people will come looking for the product later. And so Gary V talks about jab, jab, right hook on social media on a regular basis. He says, like a boxer, if you get into a ring, you don't just throw a fucking haymaker. You don't just throw a heavy right hook and hope it's going to land. Exactly. If you're just doing it over and over again, the guy you're versing is just going to be like, what the fuck's this guy doing? He's just throwing right hooks over and over and it's going to get really easy to avoid them. And so artists, when they say, hey, buy my shit, that's them throwing out a, a right hook. And so if you say, hey, buy my shit, hey, buy my shit, hey, buy my shit, nobody's going to engage with it and they're going to just get more used to it and they're just going to start to tune it out and your engagement's just going to go down, down, down. But if you log in and you provide something of value, let's say you come up with the best fucking knock, knock joke you've ever heard. And that's what you decide to post that day. You're going to get engagement because you didn't ask for anything. You gave, don't ask, always give. And by giving a joke, you're giving somebody a smile. You're giving somebody a laugh. And it can be something as simple as that. People think that when I say provide value, you need to give somebody a hundred dollars. You need to give some sort of high level value. Provide value means something as simple as either make somebody feel good, make somebody feel cool, make somebody smile, provide the absolute smallest amount of value possible. Like it could be literally anything as long as you're providing some value. It's that connection. I mean, that's why people are buying NFTs. It's not because of well, cool art has a little bit to do with it, but it's the connecting with the artist behind it. Mm -hmm. And so the main concept is you want to throw some value, some value, and then the right hook, which is asking for the sale. So put out a joke, put out a meme, put out a, a valuable information packet about you, put out a bio, put out something that's valuable. Do that two or three times. Then put out your link and say, hey, guys, just so you know, I also offer this product. Then go back to a couple more jabs, put out some more value, put out some more value, put out some more value. Now throw out your link again. And it's got to be that balance of 75% providing value, 20 to 25% of asking for a sale. Mm -hmm. And that sale, that's not extractive. It's a, You've been building this connection with your community this whole time. So they naturally want to support you. They want you to spend more time uh, providing value, right? Exactly. And that's the thing, right? If the community, if you provide high quality value, people will come searching for more value. They will be like, listen, man, like I got a ton of value out of listening to you speak for three hours. Where do I go to hear more of it? And I can only speak so often until I start to run out of time. People need to understand that there is that balance of you can only do so much for free until you need to start being paid for this time for you to be able to continue managing it at the level that they expect. And so right now I can do it for free for that three hours a week on the Wednesdays like I'm doing. But if I want to be able to host Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 
I need to free up a lot of my schedule, which means I'm not might not be making income in other areas. I need to be getting paid for what I'm doing here. And that's why I'm creating the club, which will allow me to sell the keys, make an income, be paid off of secondary sales, and still be able to provide education five days a week for the NFT community. And for folks who don't know, you do host a Twitter space every week on Wednesday. <laughs> and just doing that space, you've repeated the jab, jab, right hook. Uh, mantra in that space numerous times for multiple mm-hmm. artists, but you're actually doing it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like a, a lot of the stuff I teach is just like what I'm doing right now. It's I'm very open about it. I'm not trying to be shady. I don't want people thinking that all of a sudden I come out of nowhere with, Hey, here's a project and I'm trying to cash grab everybody. It's like, no, I'm telling you right from the beginning, I am building a community to build a product. My end goal is to sell this product. I am going to do everything in my power to provide the community with the absolute utmost like amount of value to prove to you guys this is what i've done for free imagine how much more value i have to offer you guys if i have the resources backing me and if i have the time backing it and so this is the sample the full course is coming beautiful in terms of near-term roadmap uh, is there anything you want to announce to the listeners um upcoming events So we just put out an announcement yesterday explaining what the anonymous collectors are. So we did a stealth launch originally. Um, There's 111 anonymous collectors. Uh, We only open up three of them for sale at a time because I don't want somebody coming through and sweeping them. Um, But we have three of them up for sale right now. I think almost 40 of the 111 have been claimed, still three more up for sale, and then the other uh, 60 or so will go eventually. Um, But we just put out an announcement of exactly what the anonymous collectors are. So they're being sold right now for 0.03 Ethereum. Uh, just by owning one of them, it gets you put onto our whitelist where you get up to five keys reserved for you and you also get one free key. So you'll have to pay for four of them, but one of them will be automatically given for free. You just have to redeem it for gas. And the keys are actually going to be priced higher than the Anon. So just by owning an Anon, you'll get access to a key which is worth more than the Anon itself. So that's one perk. Yeah. So that's another thing is the main goal behind the club is to make the collectors money. If you can make people money, That's how you make money. And so I want to be able to work with an artist one-on-one, build the absolute best dream collection, teach them how to build a successful collection, but then also educate my collectors on how to own a collection successfully, how to market that collection, how to talk to people about that collection, how to become a salesman for that collection. And that's why I'm consistently teaching marketing stuff, storytelling stuff. I'm basically building a giant marketing team under the roof of the club. So not only am I going to be able to provide them with the best of the best art and utility on the market right now, because we're going to be hand selecting these creators, but then I'm also going to have this collectors club of 5,000 collectors that are extremely educated in the collecting space and understand how to work as a collective. So people who hold these NFTs, they become evangelists for a project. And this isn't exclusive to your project. This is what we see in terms of projects that use this technology are successful projects, I should say. Um, so it's not just limited to the, the smaller 111 Anon collection, but all key holders, they are going to benefit from these uh, business lessons and all the perks that you listed out there. So besides a potential upside monetary value when investing in uh, NFT collections, what other value do you feel collecting NFTs gives both on the collector side and for the uh, creator? Yeah. So like as, as a creator, I think one of the main values is like you, you get a, a higher level of self-worth in a sense. Um, I think that you get this really good feeling when somebody else appreciates something that you made with your bare hands. And that can be like anything, whether it's like an NFT or just if you like, if you're a clay maker and you make pots, like 
making that is hard to make with your hands. And when somebody else comes and they say like, I'm willing to give you my hard earned money for that, it makes you feel really valuable. And so as a creator, it's incredible to have somebody else appreciate your work for other than just the monetary value. Like getting money is great, but just knowing that you're appreciated is another awesome feeling on its own. Um, now from a collector's point of view, where do I get value out of it is in that same transaction, right at the very beginning there is just a lot of creators, they haven't gotten their first sale yet. And a lot of creators are waiting to find that very first collector. And a lot of creators are feeling down on their self-worth because maybe they haven't made that first sale yet. And they're, they're starting to second guess whether or not they have the abilities to create art or create a product that other people want. And so when you are that person's first sale, you almost see like a light switch inside of their head. Like, holy shit, I actually can do this. Holy shit. I am worth this. And you you really do just build on a whole new level of confidence onto a creator when you purchase from them. And you can actually see it happen. You can see the way their tweets change. You can see the way their messages change. You can see the way their entire just whole persona and attitude changes with that whole new level of confidence that they go into. And so I think a lot of times that when I see somebody with just true talent, they're just lacking a little bit of that confidence. I can give them that one sale really just to kind of push them over and to light that fire under their ass. And then from there, after they've got that first sale, they can prove that they can do it again. It's like running the four minute or the, yeah, the four minute mile for the longest time. It was thought to be impossible. Nobody could do it. And then one guy did it and everybody else in the world was like, holy shit, it can be done. And that record kept getting broken and broken and broken over and over again. That's the feeling of getting your first sale right now. They think they can't get it, but once they get that sale, they realize, holy shit, I've done it once. I can do it again. And I can do it a hundred more times. And they just get that amazing bit of confidence. And to me, that feels so fucking good to be able to witness like from start to finish it's got to be my favorite part about purchasing an nft from a creator that was beautiful and that is uh applicable to any genre of nft whether the artist is a photographer or a mm -hmm. painter or a 3d artist and uh, you should know because you have over a thousand nfts in your collection now and yeah. <laughs> like I said, I don't even know what I like to collect, man. Like I was never an art connoisseur before. Like I never went to museums. I never went and was like, look at how abstract that is. This makes me feel like in my heart, something different. Like I'm, I'm not that guy. I've never been that guy, but I'm starting to appreciate art in a whole other way that I never did in my past. And I don't know what I like collecting yet. I think a lot of people in the community feel that way, actually. Yeah. And that's why I don't know what I want yet. So sometimes I buy a photo because I connected with that photo. I don't connect just genuinely with all photography, but that photo spoke to me. And I don't just connect with all music, but that song or that artist behind the song really connected with me. And so I haven't set to just one specific niche. I've got photography. I've got music. I've got fucking videos. I've got animation. I've got paint. I've got like literally just like a little bit of everything that you can have. And I love it. I'm happy as hell with what I have. That's great. Well diversified portfolio, well on character. Uh, NFT space, it's all encompassing. Like it can pull you in for hours and hours, as you stated before. Mm -hmm. What do you do personally to avoid any sort of burnout? Because that seems like a very real uh, issue people are running into in this space. Yeah. So I'm fortunate, man. Like I'm like a very energized, very highly motivated person. And I always have been And in order to run the businesses that I've ran in the past, like there's not always good days. Like I'm used to getting like kicked in the fucking balls, like hard on a regular basis. And that's the only way to put it is like you take a beating. And especially like where I started my businesses, I started my businesses called bootstrapped, which means we didn't have any funding. We didn't have any investors. We didn't have any help. All I had was my parents saying like, buddy, you can do it. Like you're a star. You can do this. That was all I really had. That's the real value. Yeah, it was. And, and you know, when you have those good days, 
you don't really get congratulated. And so you got to be your own biggest cheerleader and you got to pat yourself on the back. And when you have those hard days, you don't have anybody there to say, Hey man, it's going to be okay. It's either you fucking quit or you figure it the fuck out. Those are your options right now. And I've been put in that situation my entire life since I was, since I started my first business, like I was like six years old and it was either figure it the fuck out or you don't make money. And so that's just my mentality. And so I don't necessarily really get burnt out. I just know that when I'm starting to feel burnt out, that's when I say to myself, okay, make a decision. Are you going to figure this the fuck out? Or are you going to quit? Because if you want to quit, then just quit now and stop bitching and stop complaining. And that to me is just, I'm tough love on myself. And so if I feel that I'm getting like that, normally there's a couple things that get me there. It means I've stopped working out. I've stopped eating a healthy diet and I've stopped taking care of myself. If I stop taking care of myself to a certain degree and I'm working myself too hard, it's normally that they go like hand in hand together. And so once I start seeing those two things happening and I start to ask myself, fuck, do I even want to be doing this? That's my trigger. That's me going, "Uh Oh, I'm burnt out right now. Go in the gym, go eat some fruit, go get yourself hydrated and wake yourself the fuck up. Go put a hype song on, go realize like, dude, This is what you were built for. This is what you were born for. This is what you want. Wake the fuck up. Stop being a bitch. Stop complaining. You're not burnt out. You're just in a bad mood. Tomorrow's going to be a way better day. You do take breaks. I mean, it almost sounded like you keep pushing yourself, but you do step away. And mental health, physical health, that is super important. Yeah. I, I, I don't take like multiple days off though. Like I won't say, okay, I need five days off to get myself together. It's I'll throw a song on. I'll drink a ton of water and I get that day to myself. Like yesterday, I had a personal day. I'll give myself a full personal day for no reason whenever I want. I have no problem taking up to 24 hours just to say, I don't want to do anything today. I'm going to sleep in a little bit. I'm going to relax. I'm going to play some video games. I'm going to eat a little bit of like junk food. I'm going to go to the gym and I might even go outside for a walk. Like I'm just going to take a genuine personal me day. And I don't think about work. I don't think about any like the negative things. I just enjoy like the sunlight and enjoy the birds and just go for like a nice walk. Well, you say you don't think about work, but uh, how about NFTs? Do you switch off Twitter or switch off Discord? So I won't think about them in a business manner, but I'll think about the part that I enjoy about them. Hmm. So I, I'm able to really differentiate that. So like when I'm thinking about just like my general collection, I can think about like the NFTs that I own that make me happy because I'm part of these different communities and that I have no problem thinking about, but I'm not going to think about, okay, how am I going to come to market with the collector's club? How am I going to make sure that we have a certain amount of whitelists pre-sold to guarantee our success? How am I going to make sure that our roadmap looks presentable? How am I going to make sure that the, the user interface is something that people will be happy about? Like, I'm not going to think about all the technical nitty gritty business shit. I'm just going to think about like i have some cute art in my wallet that makes me happy there you go business stays business but nfts are fun don't forget Mm -hmm. that (laughs) exactly but my nfts are fun i joined this for fun but i also see the chance for a business here and i do want to have fun with both but understand that there is that differentiation between them totally i mean that is sage life advice any uh technical lesson like one takeaway for people who are looking to create or collect nfts themselves what would you say if you're looking to collect, don't be in a rush. I think that's one of the mistakes that I made was like, I was like, holy shit, NFTs are here. This is the move. Like We're still so early. Yeah. And I was like, dude, we have like 30 days to like make it or break it. Like everybody else is already a millionaire. I've got 30 days to become a millionaire. Otherwise I'm fucked. And so I took like a couple grand and I just threw it into everything. None of it went up. And I was like, oh shit, what have I like, done? now what do I do? And so then I waited. Yeah. And so like, and then you do it again and you do it again, and you do it and you just keep aping into shit thinking it's going to make you a million dollars. And it normally doesn't. So I would say spend at least four weeks like almost in like a simulated version. And you can do this in the stock market. You can make a pretend account and then you can pretend buy stocks. Uh, paper trading. Do that in- you can do that yeah. with NFTs? 
Exactly. Do paper trading. Just write it down. Be like, okay, I bought this fucking this duck for 0.02. And just hypothetically here. Now, if I was to sell it, I want to sell it at 0.05. And now see, does that go to 0.05? Did you make that call right? Give it the two weeks that you would have wanted to see it go up to the 0.05. Nope, your call wasn't correct. Try again. Try again. Do that with like a bunch of different trial simulations before actually jumping into it because you're playing with really big numbers here. Yeah, these are huge numbers. I know 0.1 ETH doesn't sound like anything, but it's uh, it's real money, folks. Yeah. So that's good advice for uh, collectors. And I guess people going in with an investing mindset and especially if you do lose or gain, know why that happened. You know, Look at mm-hmm. what the community got right, what the project got right, because it's so easy to think that we're smart when we're just lucky. We just happen to ape mm-hmm. into something in the right place in the right time, right? 100%. And you're seeing a lot of that in the space right now. And it's it's a little bit bothersome because I don't even know if I want to get into it, but you're seeing a lot of people blindly trust people yep. because of their profile picture right now. Yep. And it's causing a lot of people to get scammed. And the problem is, is just because somebody has an expensive profile picture, it doesn't make them smart. It means they might've gotten lucky six months ago. Be very cautious who you're trusting in this space. That is very true. And uh, look for the projects with the doxed teams or even with the founders. 100%. I think that it's it's super important yeah. to have a doxed team. And I understand why some people would want to stay undoxed, but I think it's better to be doxed. Just to follow up real quick, uh, that's awesome advice for collectors. But how about for uh, creators entering this market? Yeah. So as a creator entering this market, just understand that it's not like the market that you used to be in. If you've sold your own art previously, this isn't what you're doing anymore. You are now becoming your own business. Understand that it's like starting a business. You are your own marketer. You are your own accountant. You are your own motivator, like we were talking about earlier. You are your own biggest cheerleader. You're your own artist. You're your own everything. There is not really a bunch of people that are going to help you bring your dream to life. You are wearing multiple different hats. And so anybody who's owned a business before and understands the theory of bootstrapping your business with zero investors and zero help, that's the position that these artists are in right now. They're going through exactly what I've gone through five or six times right now. And it's a fucking struggle. It's hard. It's it's demoraling, especially when you see everybody else doing so, so well. So all I got to say is just know that it's not going to be easy. Know that it's going to be hard. But hey, man, like if it was easy, like everybody would be doing this. This is meant to be hard. You want this to be hard. When it's hard, success tastes way better after. So don't give up. Totally. Do the right thing, not the easy thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I could have made a profile picture project or a meme project and I could have used my following to sell it out probably pretty easily. But like, why? I I don't see the long-term value in that when I have the same potential to build a legacy where I could build a company that I can run for the next 25 years and maybe pass on to like my next generation. That's the potential I see here versus let's sell a meme for the next two days and then ruin your entire life's reputation in the space. So. Reputation so important, echoing the, the values that you admire in Gary V. So, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. 100%, man. I just want to say thank you to you. It was an incredible interview, and thank you for all the questions you asked. And anytime you ever want to chat again, man, you know my doors are always open. Much appreciated. All right. Take care. You too. Wow. What an awesome talk. Michael and I met on Twitter and I always feel welcome whenever I drop into one of his spaces. So do check them out sometime. You'll learn something new, I guarantee. Real quick, upon re-listening to the recording, I wanted to double click on something we discussed. 
and that being the securities and regulation risk that may be present in some projects, such as CyberKongs, when tokens are issued to holders, which could be seen as quote-unquote generating passive income, like a bond or dividend-paying stock. Now, don't let it dissuade you from exploring the space and innovating. I mean, we wouldn't have disruptive tech companies like Airbnb if no one was willing to challenge the old uh, regulatory models. But do consider how securities are classified and regulated in your region, especially if something like issuing tokens is a planned feature for a project that you yourself are building. Remember, I'm not a lawyer. I don't even play one on the internets. So DYODD, do your own due diligence. But at the same time, be bold and experiment. We're in early uncharted territory. The rules are still being made and that's what makes this all so exciting. Also, whether or not CEO's tough self-love for lack of a better term, approach is uh, suitable for you, is ultimately for you to try and decide. However, one must respect the conviction and purpose-driven alignment behind it, and it should already be ingrained in you if you subscribe to Gary Vee. But remember, you're still human. Burnout in the space is real, and like Michael said, we need to be our own biggest cheerleader sometimes especially on those hard days because there's always a way and you can figure things out when you're feeling burnt out and asking yourself do i even want to be doing this that's probably the point to ask if you're working yourself too hard and not practicing proper diet not drinking enough water not taking enough time for a bit of leisure and exercise a lot of the time you need to step away from banging your head against the wall and do something non-work related in order to get back to a proper mindset. As we near the end of the episode, I just wanted to share my goal uh, with the podcast before end of year was to release three episodes and that's why you're getting them a week apart. But moving forward, I'm going to aim for an episode uh, probably every two to three weeks so long as I can get a hold of quality guests who have something relevant to say. Keeping in mind that availability and access to talent in this space seems to be very much in demand. So it's not uncommon to delay and reschedule talks I'm finding. So thank you for your patience, uh, but look forward to a lot more interesting talks moving forward. To get that done though, I would love to hear from you. Tell me your thoughts and takeaways from today's episode. And uh, moving forward, what NFT topics are you interested in? What questions do you have? And uh, what experts do you have in mind that can help us answer them? I'll do my best to reach out to them. Connect with me and NFT Droplets through Twitter and through the website. My DMs are always open. Remember that the podcast is available on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed this episode... Please do subscribe and support the show. Leave a positive review. It really helps the show reach a larger audience and help us scale and spread the good word about NFTs. Thank you so much for listening. Till the next one. If you got any value from today's episode, 
be sure to subscribe to the NFT Droplets podcast and check out the newsletter for more great NFT content. If you really want to be a rock star, why not drop a like, share, or comment? All are easy and free ways to support the show. And as always, reviews and feedback are greatly appreciated. Until the next episode drops, this is Mas from NFT Droplets. So grateful to be on this journey here with you. We're building the future together, one droplet at a time. Peace. Anything discussed in this podcast or published in the newsletter is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be misconstrued as investment advice. Please consult a registered financial professional before making any investment decision.